listening to the Transformations with Jane podcast. I'm your host, Jane Nakata, a New Zealander living her best life in Fukushima, Japan. I'm a podcast consultant and the creator of Pod Launch with Jane, a system that helps you create your dream podcast without all the drama and hassle, leaving you more free time to do the things you love to do. This show is for people who want to hear stories of women who are doing amazing things here in Japan and across the world. You'll find loads of inspiration for how you can live your best life wherever you are. I'm glad you're here. Let's get on with the show. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Transformations with Jane podcast. I'm your host, Jane Nakata, coming to you from Fukushima as usual. Today, I have a wonderful guest coming on the show. Her name is Laura Gonsch, and Dr. Laura is a sleep scientist and a holistic sleep coach who lives in Tokyo, Japan. So I really enjoyed connecting with Dr. Laura today, and I hope you will enjoy our discussion. And if you are thinking sleep coaching, I don't need that. My kid is older, etc. I encourage you to listen because she has a lot of really great points about parenting in general and also for women, just keeping in touch with what you need as a human being, <laughs> basically, um, because we know what it's like being a mother or being a busy entrepreneur or whatever it is, all of those hats that you wear during the day, it's very easy to forget yourself, forget who you are, forget what you need and put other people's needs in front of yours all the time until, yeah, you end up in a situation where you're not happy or you're very run down or whatever it is. So I encourage you to listen. It's a great conversation and just maybe to feel a little bit less alone, feel part of something, which is the purpose of this podcast. So Dr. Laura is French Chilean sleep scientist. She's a mother and an entrepreneur, and she studied and worked in Europe, Switzerland, and the United States, Australia, and Japan. She believes that the third of our lives spent sleeping gives us the potential to create the life we want for ourselves and our families. And she supports mothers to go from sleepless to blissful nights through the power of science and connection. But I really love that. It's not just, oh, I got my baby to sleep, so I'm going to help you get your baby to sleep. Uh, she's a very accomplished scientist as well as knowing a lot about the, the child and parent connection as well. So I think she has a lot of great stuff to share, and I really hope you'll enjoy this episode. Hi, Laura. Welcome to the Transformations with Jane podcast. It's great to have you on the show today. Hi, Jane. Thank you so much for having me. I've been following your podcast for a while. I really like one of the last one with Lydia. That was really, really nice. Um, oh, you did? Oh, shout out to Lydia. Yeah, yeah. So thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you on the show today. So we like to start off with a little bit of like, how did you get to Japan? Why are you here? And why are we talking today? So if you could just introduce yourself a bit and tell us your coming to Japan story, that would be really great. So I'm Laura. I'm originally a scientist. Um, and when I became a mom, somehow I got pushed by friends and word of mouth to kind of help people with sleep because my major was sleep uh, as a PhD. Um, and so little by little, I was like, wait, I really like research. Maybe I'll change. I don't know. And now I'm holistic sleep coach. So I help moms go from sleepless to blissful nights through science and connection. How did I come to Japan? 
is that I visited in 2006 the first time and literally like I was really kind of a jerk as a young adult oh. <laughs> <laughs> I was like very like blasé you know like oh yeah I've seen the world I know everything ah, kind of okay. thing and I came to Japan and I was like really like blasted with something I didn't know right I was really like wow what is this place I don't don't understand mm. feels like another planet mm -hmm. And it was really like kind of love at first sight for someone like me because I'm so curious and like research was like, how does this work? How? And so then I worked really hard to come back. So I came for an internship with my university in 2009 and I worked in, so in Saitama, in, in uh, Riken. And then I thought that you know, you hear a lot about the bad experiences of Japan, like, you know, I'll get over it, I'll go, I'll live there, and then I'll be done with Japan. But that didn't work oh. on me. <laughs> and I also met my now husband. And mm. so then it was so since 2009, it's been a bit of a back and forth. I've done my PhD in Australia. And then I moved to Switzerland with my husband. And then we came back in 2018. Wow, what a story. <laughs> And you're so right. It gets under your skin, Japan. You sort of once you've been here, you can't escape it kind of thing. And yes. I think there is such a huge challenge to overcome just to get used to living here that it's hard to leave that behind. And even people who have left are like, oh, I miss stuff. I don't miss this, but I miss that. Yes. You can never be the same kind of thing. Yeah. Yes, mm. totally. I see. So what do you do now that you finished all your studying and researching? Mm -hmm. So when I was in Switzerland, I finished my thesis, so like the writing of my PhD. And in the middle of that, I got pregnant. So, and you know, you probably mm -hmm. know when you become a mom and you're like, oh, when, you know, during pregnancy, I'll do all these things. And then, you know, I'll, I'll brush up on my <laughs> Japanese. I'll learn Japanese. Yeah. Like you plan so like, yeah, yeah, yeah when yeah. my baby's born, I'll do all these things. And it's like, yeah, right. So finishing my <clears> thesis <throat> was already a big deal, even though I had done everything back in Australia. And then it was really like, you know, when people started asking me sleep advice and be like, oh, yeah, and then that it would work for them. So that's the first thing, because I'm really all about giving information um, and not forcing people into something. It's really like, I'll give you what I know. Mm. Um, I'll give you options and then maybe it'll work for you and maybe not. Maybe you'll, you can try something else. And then when it was working for them, I was, I was like, wait, how mm. is this kind of easy in a sense mm. parenting is not easy at all I am not of saying course that. yeah but you know giving people the just the truth basically just some piece of truth and then they make things work for them and so I was like okay I really love research like that's one thing about me what am I gonna do because this is kind of nice and like mom seemed to like this approach that I have and so I went for it. Uh, so I started really at the end of my PhD. We moved back to Japan. And then here I met a lot of um, kind of parenting groups where I kind of blended. And now mm. it's a really full-time uh, sleep, holistic sleep coaching business. And I want to say I do not really do any kind of approach like sleep training or cry it out or kind of separation techniques. Mm -hmm. So if people listening to this are looking for these kind of things that is not what I do and I understand that people have different needs and uh, yeah so 
that's how I got here, basically. Mm, okay, interesting. So tell me more about this holistic. What does that mean as part of the sleep training that you do? Right. So um, because I'm a scientist, a lot of people think that I do cry it out because a lot of people use the science to justify separation and leaving your baby to cry. Um, but when I became a mom, I found out that, you know, the science was not explaining enough for me. And so I'm that kind of scientist. Like we have a lot of information, but there's a lot of things we don't know and we can't explain. And all these kind of attachment and, and connection for me is critical. Um, so I really base my services on knowledge. Um, I also always accept that science is getting close to the truth, but never reaching it. And it will change every day. And accepting that we can see the benefits of some things in attachment, connection, how your baby reacts, and those things you can't measure. So my holistic view is really looking at a child, but more at the family as a whole. So it's not just like, oh, this method works for everyone. Like, first of all, we don't live in the same climate. We don't live in the same housings. Like a lot of people don't have three bedroom house. So I really believe that sleep and parenting in general is so unique to every single family. And we should really stop the like one size fits all, like just do this with your baby and it will work. And I don't think that's helpful for moms because when they don't get it, they put this weight on their shoulders and makes it worse when moms already have this crazy mental load. Yeah, it's very stressful. And if you're looking at a system that comes from someone potentially in America, it might not work if you're living in Japan sleeping on the floor or whatever. Exactly. So tell me some of the things that you've noticed about your clients in Japan that they struggle with that potentially people in other countries don't struggle with so much. Do you have any good examples? Um, yeah, I do. And I don't want to be too stereotypical mm. because, you know, in this day and age, I want to be very respectful of cultural differences and things like that. However, <laughs> I would say, especially foreign moms with a Japanese husband can be tricky mm. because the culture of being a man in Japan, being a dad in Japan, um, and like the role of the male in the household is very specific. So it is hard for moms to have their husbands involved in taking care of the child. And more than that, even helping the dad to connect with their child. Um, and so it's something that's really hard because first they, they have to want to, <laughs> and you can't force that. And I would even push it to say sometimes Japanese people are disconnected from their own emotions. And when it's hard to understand how their own emotions work, it's really hard to then relate to another individual and, and an immature individual. So it takes a lot of work and patience. Yes. And that's hard because in my work, it's really important for moms to have support. Like it's really important for moms to know that they shouldn't have to do this alone. And so my hardest clients are the ones who can't have any kind of support, whether it's a babysitter, a daycare or a family or anything. And because that's not how it's supposed to work. <laughs> no, it's never worked like that until 
recent history, right? It's always been a, a kind of a village that has raised children, not just one person in their little house with the white picket fence, etc. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I often would have, especially Japanese mothers, asking me questions about my parenting techniques. Oh. Very curious to know what's the foreign mum doing. And they would also hear rumors that my kids go to bed at like 7.30. And they'd be like, how are you doing this? What is this magic thing that you do to get your kids into bed at 7.30? And I said, well, that's a schedule that works for me because the eight o'clock I need to be switched off from my parenting mode to be able to parent well between 6 a.m. and, you know, 7.30. So this is what I've decided. And they were really curious about being able to take control of their family situation. And I got the feeling that a lot of them were just letting things happen or even the kids were in control a lot of the time. And they were surprised to hear that I was in control of the family schedule. Right. First of all, I love that. Like, I love what you were saying about, you know, you have to put your needs in the whole picture. Like, that's so important. And if by 8 p.m. you need to disconnect and you know that that's one of your limits for your well-being and, you know, your health in general, that is so important. And I think a lot of people think that, so what I do is holistic, but some people call it gentle parenting. Lots of people believe that gentle parenting is just, you know, accepting everything, which is really not. And it really goes together. So like supporting emotions, understanding your child while putting healthy and age appropriate boundaries is critical. And it's a big part of my work. So everything related to sleep, it will come with some boundaries at some point, because if the mom really is burnt out, can't sleep with the kid anymore, there will be some boundary that need to be put in place. There will be some tears. Um, and here I'm really careful. So I don't do cry it out, which is for me like separated um, cry, separating your child, letting them manage their emotions alone compared to supported tears. Supported tears are great. Like you need them, like you need these emotions and stuff like that. So I'm not against crying at all. Um, but this change will happen. Boundaries are needed. And in terms of the Japanese culture, and I'm not sure if you'll agree, this is one of my theory, but because uh, a lot of families bed share, they go with this idea that they're going to be bed share because, you know, most people do here and that's completely fine. But then they don't really think about rearranging it around when the baby comes. And I feel like a lot of babies go into this adult rhythm very early on because it's like, oh, yeah, I'm sharing the bed with my baby. So my baby will go to bed with me. And it works probably early on when the baby naps a lot. And that's fine. I Again, like lots of people are like, your baby or your child needs to sleep at this time of the day. I don't believe so. Like it really adapts to the amount of sleep during the day, what time they wake up in the morning, etc. But at some point, if your kid doesn't nap anymore and they go to bed at 10, 11 midnight, then I might have an issue. The child might have an issue yeah, as yeah. well. Um, I yeah, that just gives me the heebie-jeebies. It gets up to um, <laughs> midnight. Yeah. But it happens, right? It happens in yeah. Japan. And yeah. I often ask my kids, you know, how many kids in your class fall asleep during the day in your class? And they were like, oh, loads. 
Oh. I'm the only kid who doesn't fall asleep and it's right. Ah, because you're right. the only kid who goes to bed at seven or eight, like, yeah, before eight I, o'clock or my daughter is 8.30 or so. Right. Yeah, they're, they're on right. a different kind of schedule. But it's a real challenge, isn't it? Because in Japan, so many things are scheduled that are do not support mm-hmm. having children going to bed at a reasonable hour. So for one example, even we're not talking about babies yeah. so much, but older kids are expected to be at yes. after school activities until seven o'clock at night or something. That's for me, that's just that we yes. just don't do things because I refuse to have my children out at seven o'clock at night on a school night. They should be at home, had their dinner and had their bath and be transitioning to sleep, not um, playing soccer or something. So yeah, um, that's this real challenge. <laughs> I love that. And that also plays into the um, kind of balance of sleep and activity because a lot of kids are overstimulated. Like, and the society makes you believe that your kids need to do a ton of things after school, as you were saying, but also that you're not supposed to spend time with your child, which that's another thing that I have a problem with. Like the priority for me when you have a child is you want to spend time with them. Like you know, and of course there's some levels because there are some parents who are working and they have a schedule, but if you don't want to see your kid in the evening, you know, and spend time with them and play with them, or read with them, that makes me sad. Um, but we do have the problems of this overstimulation. And then those kids who are disconnected from their parents, of course, they don't want to go to bed because they need this time with their main caregiver. They need to be feel safe in this relationship and feel like, ah, oh, I can relax now. You know, everything is taken care of. I'm taken care of. My parents are there. Um, so I, I totally agree with you. After school activities run really late, but also like if you do Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and you have things every day of the week, of course, the kid is exhausted. Of course, they're only waiting for holidays because they just want to do nothing and they should. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, Um, it's quite the competition, like to have something on after school three or more times a week with your various activities for kids, especially in elementary school until they go up to junior high yeah I'm not sure how old how old your child is how old are they right I didn't even say that so <laughs> I have one daughter yeah. and she's seven oh, okay so, so same she's as my son. Yeah. finishing grade Second one grade. Yeah. um and yeah. I have two cats <laughs> that I that I also cats. consider my babies so <laughs> yeah yeah of course yeah I have one for a son and a, a daughter and, and a, a regular son <laughs> Yeah. So are there any other pressures that you see on mothers in Japan? Yes. So I'm sure you would probably agree, though, I guess because I'm in Tokyo and you're more in the countries, not countryside, but a bit further. For Yes, exactly. Um, but here, um, moms are really pressured into a certain mold. Um, so, you know, you have to look good. You have to wake up before your child to prepare bentos. So lunch for everyone in the family. Your house needs to be perfect. You need to have dinner for everyone and everything needs to be homemade. Okay, maybe it's a little bit excessive. I know quite a few moms who, you know, use frozen foods (laughs) and I hope they do. Um, And so when I see new moms, you know, kind of, 
ready head to toe with a newborn, completely inaccessible for if they're breastfeeding with heels and the stroller, there's two things that come to mind. It's either if, you, if that's part of your self-care and that makes you feel good, yes, go for it. If, if this little moment of prepping in the morning is, is making you feel better as a mom, because self-care is another one of my pillars in my work, then that's great. But in most cases, I don't believe so. I believe that that's pressure. They're pushed into this um, kind of appearance that they have to have. And moms have other things in their head. They shouldn't have to have that on top of their head mm. as a priority. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Definitely. And you only have to turn on the TV for five minutes or look, pick up any magazine in this country to get bombarded by those kinds of messages about how to be an A++ mother uh, in all aspects. And, oh, and, and also you actually need to have a job as, as well now too, because good luck uh, <laughs> surviving on your, you're just your husband's salary these days and right. be an A++ employee as well. So, right. Yeah, it, it, there is a lot. Um, and find daycare, which is also impossible mm, here. Mm. I mean, in many countries it is, but it's like, how can you go back to work when you can't get a daycare? Yeah, yeah. In Tokyo, that's a major, major issue, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, mm. I'm starting to see more families with like bigger families here in Fukushima that we never used to see, like families of three and four that potentially don't exist so much in Tokyo because it just would be such a nightmare. But yeah, I'm seeing a lot more women um, just staying out of the workforce, actually just continuing to stay home with their children because that's easier than potentially juggling yes. both. So that's another, I mean, and maybe they love to be mothers and, and all of that, but some part of me is wondering that they've chosen, like if I have more children, then I don't have to explain myself as to why I'm not working. Right. Um, as sort of thing that I'm noticing happening here in, in Fukushima. Yeah, something a bit different potentially right. from Tokyo, I think. Yeah, I have to mm. say that with COVID, and I, I'm not sure in the perspective of the whole country how good this is, but I've seen so many dads in the park and so many dads doing the drop-off. So being more involved in the family life and the kids' life. However, I have also heard that there's a rise in violence with kids. So I wonder if, you know, parents are prepared also because you can't just throw someone and be like, okay, be a good dad now. Yeah. From today, you're going to be a good dad. Go. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but I find yeah. it nice. Yeah. I like to see that from the outside. I worry about what it means on the other side and I hope that it's not as bad as it seems mm, to be interesting mm. yeah I've definitely noticed um, more younger dads being much more involved uh, even just the difference between my older daughter going to kindergarten and my younger son how many more dads involved in the space of three years it's a real I'm seeing a real upturn in dads being involved yeah. in parenting and I think you know my husband has always been involved and wanted to be involved in in parenting and people would ask me how are you getting your husband to do these things I'm like I'm not getting him to do these things I'm letting him doing the letting him do these things are you letting your husband do things or are you controlling things in your family completely and then he can't feel like he's allowed to even try making dinner or try making a bento right. that might not be good enough and they sort of 
yeah, look a bit shocked, but yeah, being able to let go and maybe let your husband take control or not take control, but take part. Yeah. Is also yeah. something I think um, like Japanese women in particular struggle with. And I think, well, women in general probably too, but definitely um, it's my home, my castle, my children. <laughs> and yeah, a little bit more. There was stepping, stepping back, learning how to step back. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because I, women don't want to be criticized for not being perfect. Right. So it's hard to like, of course, let men have a go. I agree yeah. with that. And I also think that it's difficult to understand that, especially for moms who are very connected with their children and know their children very well, it's really hard to accept that maybe your children will have different needs with another caregiver. And so it is important, as you were suggesting, that the dad can practice and fail and try again, um, first of all, because they can find their own way of doing this caregiving to their children, but also so that they can gain confidence, because that's the main thing. Um, and I don't want to blame moms because the connection when you have a baby is like, you can't explain it to other women. You can't explain it to men. It's not possible. And it makes sense that this survival protective instinct is there. Um, so you, you have to make an effort to be like, okay, I'm going to let go as you're saying, you know, and be like, um, I'll let him mess up my beautiful, precious little bundle. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I have to, like, sometimes I tell my kids, like, when dad's in charge, I don't need to know what's happening. You just, guys, just do what you need to do. I'll see you when I get back. Have a nice time. Enjoy each other's company. And, yeah, when I get back, I'm like, oh, my God, I'm pretty sure they've been watching TV the whole time or whatever. But, yeah, um, yeah, okay, whatever, do that. (laughs) But this this is great. Like, this is fantastic. Again, you know your limit and you know how to make yourself feel good while finding a balance with your family. And a lot of moms will torture themselves mm-hmm. you know oh my god are they okay yeah. yes exactly so mm-hmm. um what you're doing sounds really like you know you know your family you know your kids and you balance their needs and maybe the strength of your husband and and the, like but finding this balance of your unique family is what i yeah. want more families to do and not be like Oh, so my child is eight months old. What is he supposed to be doing right now? Which mm-hmm. society pushes us to believe. And I've been guilty of that too. Even a scientist, mm-hmm. even when I know the uniqueness of biology, I would be like, is this normal? Is everything normal? What am I doing wrong? <laughs> yeah. Are we on track? <laughs> We're not behind yet. Are we? Am I going to mess my <laughs> child for life? Yeah. Have I, have I ruined my child? Yes. Yes. Mm. So what is the reality of newborn sleep? So for my listeners who are just starting out on their parenting journey, potentially in Japan and and managing the futon or shall we futon or shall we not futon? Is is this baby going to sleep in their own cot or are we going to co-sleep? What is the reality of newborn sleep? All right. So the first reality of, I would say, a baby, so not only a newborn, but zero to one year old is that a child will wake up. And that's completely normal. And it's a good thing. 
Um, there's lots of science backing up the idea that um, having a child who can wake himself easily is protective against sudden infant death syndrome. And so the things that can protect are the fact that he's going to wake up and the proximity of a parent. Um, so the recommendation varies from country to country, but I think an, on average a year in the same bedroom, so that's what we call co-sleeping, not bed sharing, is recommended for this prevention. Um, so the child will wake up. I, I looked at a recent study on zero to one-year-old and 97.5% of kids woke up and needed help during the night. So the number varies, um, the number of wakes varies, but it is completely normal. And sometimes we feel like, why are they waking up? Something is wrong. They're waking up because they need to. They're calling you because they need to. And answering their calls is normal because crying is the method to call attention so that they get help with whatever they might need. It might be a feeding. It might be not being clean. It might be just comfort. And that's the most common. People tend to want to believe that once a baby's uh, fed and clean, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> and that's not how it works. So that would be the first thing. The second thing uh, is bed sharing is a great tool for moms because especially if you're breastfeeding um by the way which is protective also against sudden infant death syndrome which is always go good to know um it's so tiring to have to get up and go in baby's room and then come back to bed and go back and forth whereas if you have your baby next to you it might really be helpful yeah. it doesn't work for everyone mm -hmm. and there are some babies it is not the majority who like sleeping alone in a crib but it's really not the majority <laughs> so in terms of independent sleep it will happen whether you bed share or you don't bed share and however long you bed share um, the only thing is when you have enough of the current situation, whether it is the kind of sleep environment or the way you put your child to sleep, you can just make a change. The only thing is that this change needs to be very gradual and supported. And so as we were saying, it's really going to be a balance between emotions and boundaries and taking time because we don't expect a six month old to start walking <laughs> True. one yes, day. Right. Yeah. Building those muscles. Yeah. Um, it yeah. will take a lot of time and a lot of support. Mm. Right. And you'll be there every step of the way. You'll be like, Oh, I'll help you walk. I'll catch you if you fall if sleep. It's not like you need to teach sleep and you don't actually need to teach kids to walk. You know, they will learn eventually by watching but they need the support and the company. Um, and the safer they feel with their sleep, sleep environment, the best they will sleep. And it will be more consolidated than if it's forced. Because if it's forced and too early, then there will always be some residual, maybe some fear, maybe anxiety and something. Okay, like so I have a question about bedtimes then, because that is just such a hot topic. Um, and once you get through the baby stage and they're yes. kind of sleeping generally through the night, which is fantastic. And then 
then it comes time to know like what is the best time to put my kid to sleep apart from my own needs of like in my case my need to not have children around me at all hours yes. of the day just because it was so overwhelming as practically a solo parent like not as I wasn't solo but there are no other um supports for for me so that was my my thing um right. here where I live how do you know what's the best time for your kid to go to sleep mm. so as you were saying that varies a lot with age then mm. it varies a lot because I really have kind of three kind of profile of children in mind so they're the kids and, and these profile can mix. So there are the kids who are very sensitive to what we call wake windows. So how long they've been awake before they sleep again. And some babies are so strict mm. with the wake windows that you can try five minutes before their wake window to put them to sleep. It's not going to work. Like it's going to be exactly at that specific right. mark. They're like a little alarm clock. Yes. With their sleep. Yes. Right. Must be on so time. there's mm. that. There's some kids have a body clock. I mean, we all have a body clock, but I mean, they're very clear with what time of the day it is. So like whatever happens, they'll always mm. fall asleep at the same time of the day, even if they're right. maybe their first nap was not the same amount of time. So the wake window changes, but the time they go back to sleep is going to be similar. Um, and mm -hmm. then there are the few rare kids who are so flexible you can do whatever you want with them and those are rare but it's like right. for example this accident accidental last nap that's really much later than usual and those kids will still go back to sleep at the same mm. time at night so that's right. the first thing right. i would look at mm. like what kind of sleep habit they prefer because then you can mm. really work it out so for example my daughter is one of those extremely strict with wake windows. And so, for example, when we started daycare, I actually had to wake her in the morning because otherwise she would never take her nap at the daycare. Uh, impossible, really impossible. Again, some kids don't need that. I have met some families who, for some reason, wake up their kids at six and it's like, but why? <laughs> you really don't have to. Like, if you can be flexible, be flexible. And so... Um, then because she was so strict with wake windows, we had to always keep it, an eye on it and kind of study it also because she's highly sensitive. So she doesn't have uh, sleep cues. That's another thing that some people don't know. Like some babies have zero sleep cues. You feel like they never need to sleep. Yeah, that's, that's a lie. They do. They just don't show it. <laughs> um, and so it's interesting because we just changed uh, our bedtime very recently uh, because we could see that it, there was a struggle. So we put it a bit later, but it's been literally three years that my daughter would go to sleep at seven and fall asleep around 7.30 at night. Um, but it's been harder and harder, taking her longer and longer. And I would say those are the best indicators of what bedtime you should do. Or like that works also for nap transitions because when the nap starts to be in fight, mm -hmm. 
you don't want that. You don't want sleep to be uncomfortable. You don't want sleep to be a battle. Um, and so nap transitions yeah. are very gradual as well. Sometimes they'll go back and forth for a few months before it settles. Um, but the bedtime is the same. So recently we're like, oh, it's taking her mm. forever. I think her wake window is bigger. And so we extended by half an hour, but we were yeah. also keeping yeah. it in mind. Like yeah. if it doesn't work, we'll just go back. And that's, mm-hmm. that's the most important. It's like experimenting with your child to find out what works for them and also for you. Mm. So another thing about bedtime is the routine. It's good if the bedtime routine is pleasant for the parent, because if you don't like that moment Mm. with your child, they're going to feel it. It's going to be like a shitty moment. Like, just don't do it. Find Mm. things that you like to do with your kids um, so that that moment is really a reconnecting moment that they can enjoy, that you can enjoy. And then everyone sleeps reading stories don't read stories do something else right like something else relaxing <laughs> um, maybe it's just chatting in bed or whatever it is. yeah or like I don't know yeah, play an audiobook or find yeah. an audiobook mm. if you don't want to be the one to read play an audiobook a podcast like there's some podcasts who have the reading stories yeah there, and that's the thing like there are so many ways to be a parent and we really feel like you know the bedtime routine is the same for everyone some kids hate having a bath that's so stimulating for them that then they can't sleep um so you know you really don't have to especially in japan you know how when you're supposed to have a bath every single night and it's like well yeah, my baby can't sleep after that <laughs> why would i do that <laughs> oh my goodness yeah right that that could cause some serious issues unless you decide this is just not what we're doing and and that's what I think we're kind of lucky as foreigners in Japan we can pick and choose more easily than perhaps your average Japanese family as to what we're going to take on from Japanese culture and what we're just not going to and in our case it's been going to bed early is something that we prioritized and like you said my seven-year-old he's going to be at 7 45 falling asleep around I'm pretty sure he's asleep by eight and most days that's okay but on a Thursday he's absolutely knackered and he needs to go to bed by 7 30 because I can see you know it's the end of the week and it's catching up right and so that's what we do yeah always keeping an eye on on stuff like that but how they feel yeah Yeah. last Mm. night actually I let him stay up a little bit later because he really wanted to watch um, baseball on tv with his dad and that's the thing he just loves so much he's so obsessed with baseball and I was like okay you can watch the Tigers finish their innings and you know see if anyone gets a run and then you're going to bed and he woke up in the foulest mood this morning he woke up and he's like I'm so grumpy today And I was like, hmm, I wonder if that's because I let you stay up too late last <laughs> night to watch the baseball. Yeah, it's funny. Mm. So maybe he'll be going to bed early tonight. <laughs> but those exceptions are also important. Yeah, and I would yeah. say, especially as a new mom, when, you know, for example, you have a child who really hates sleeping outside and you always have to be indoors. And then you like, you feel guilty if you go out and you miss a nap and like, you really need to as a mom, like literally you really have too much on your mind to worry about too many little things. You will miss a nap. You will miss a bedtime, but the, you know, it's a bit like a diet, right? And I mean, 
feeding yourself properly is like 80% and then 20% is not great. And that's completely fine because the baseline is there. It's the same with, you know, do you lose your shit? Are you Mm. a perfect mom? Of course not. We all lose our shit, Mm. a gentle parent or not. The important is that, you know, you always try your best. And that's what I want my daughter to know. Always try your best. Mm. We're not aiming for perfection. I want her to try to be the best person she can be and I'll try to be the best person I can be and if I mess up I will own up to it and be like okay clearly I didn't have enough self-care today Mm. clearly something was going on with me and I lost my shit and that's okay and I'll do better so what are like obviously you work with families with younger babies what's some of the older ages of children that you've worked with until now the oldest was a four-year-old who was still Mm -hmm. coming to his parents bedroom every night and uh, the mom was pregnant and you know when you're expecting another baby you might want to make sure that you're a bit freer for the the next one um and yeah it's I actually love working with older kids um simply because you know between zero and one-year-old Except if there's like some kind of health issue that I can red flag and, you know, tell family, okay, here it does look like something might be going on. Um, So, you know, go see XYZ person because I'm not an expert of everything. There's a lot of the time moms just do great (laughs) and their babies do great and they just have to know that. So there's not much I can do. Um, especially also because the boundaries that we were talking about, usually I would wait until more like, you know, seven to nine months before we can really be like, okay, now let's put in place strategies that work more for the parents. Uh, whereas with older kids, it's really like, okay, so, you know, you, we can pinpoint what's going on and then we can be like, okay, do a little bit of this, do a little bit of that. And I love it because when parents really kind of find this this kind of energy in themselves of how they want to parent and what their kids needs and then they're they're like oh yeah I can manage this and that they feel like they can manage on the long term and be like oh I got it now so even when it goes up and down I know what I can do um, whether it is weighted out because there are those neurodevelopmental leaps where your kid is just not (laughs) feeling it and you'll just have to suck it up (laughs) um but you know this confidence and the parent and be like oh okay and and sometimes like I mean I'm confident in my approach but I'm still always amazed with the progress of my clients and I'm like what yeah yeah like I got a message actually today and the mom was like oh he slept in his room for the first time and it was like her first try we've been working together for like a week and a half and I was Mm -hmm. like what amazing that's great um but yeah I work with older kids as well especially because sometimes you just don't notice you know the few little things and few little tweaks that need to be done so that your kid stays in their bed Mm -hmm. most of the time yeah it's really helpful to have somebody else look at the situation and go oh I see this that you probably haven't noticed and that that could help and yeah that's really great so if someone wants to work with you where can they find you so I have my website so my handle is science for all women because 
my goal is way broader than just sleep <laughs> sure. for, for further along right now I'm focusing on family sleep but I, I really want to do more for women um, so science for all women on my website is cywom.org and then I am back on Instagram after one year hiatus because I had my mm. own mental health issues and that was really intense sure. um, and I have a ton of information on sleep and parenting and support um, there so it is also science for all women very good yeah so definitely hop over to instagram and find those very informative posts that you have and i think it's safe to say that you're very supportive of all women and however they want to parent their kid and raise their family wherever they are in the world you don't have to be in japan but it's really great to have someone in japan who does understand what it's like here and some of the challenges that perhaps somebody else in another country has not experienced before and and just yeah open to different ways of doing things that's really great well thank you so much for coming on the show today and yeah well i hope that some listeners will reach out to you and please say that you heard laura on the show today that would be great that was so much fun thank you so much jane so that was the interview with Dr. Laura. I hope you enjoyed it. I really enjoyed connecting with Laura and hearing about her idea for ways that you can find your own unique parenting style. And as a foreigner in Japan, I think that's one of the trickiest things to do because perhaps the way that you were brought up doesn't work here, or maybe you didn't, you don't see it, the value in that anyway. So being able to take control of your parenting journey and raise your family the way you want to do it, even though you live in Japan, even though you potentially have a Japanese husband. And I've done this myself, obviously, with my own family. I have two kids and a Japanese husband as well. So I know what it's like to negotiate, you know, are we going to have a cot or are we going to sleep on futons and are our children going to sleep with us till they're seven, all these things. So yeah, I think if you're struggling with this area in your life, then definitely get in contact with Dr. Laura and see if she can help you. And I think, yeah, it would be a great way to make your life easier. Yeah. Give this gift to yourself. So if you want to get in contact with her, I think she's on Instagram a lot and at science for all women. And please tell her that you heard her on the transformations with Jane podcast. That would be really great. Don't forget coming up soon is my BYO pod launch with Jane program. So if you're from New Zealand and maybe Australia as well, you will know what BYO means. It means bring your own in New Zealand. It's usually used for like bring your own beverage to a restaurant or a party. But in this case, it's build your own. So build your own podcast. And I know there's so many women out there who want to start a podcast, but don't because they get overwhelmed with all the things you need to decide. So BYO is going to help you with that. If you'd like to hear about that when it launches, please get on the wait list. You can find that in the show notes. And you'll be the first to hear about it when it comes out. We're going for our beta round this time, which means it's going to be a little bit cheaper than it will normally be. So I really encourage you to take part in the beta and get your show out there. We need more women in Japan podcasting in particular. 
So that's all for me today. Have a wonderful week. We'll see you again soon. Bye-bye.